Welcome everyone to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so concerned for the safety of his fellow New Yorkers that when he smells gas, he acts fast. He calls Con Ed. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. I don't really go to the movies. I like records, though. Daredevil episode 106, Condemned, is brought to you by the people at Bicycle Playing Cards. Are you looking to outline all of the players in Hell's Kitchen? Well, time to play 52 pickup and stick them on the wall. Well done, Pete. Well done. And you know what? Speaking of decks of cards, the news broke this week that uh, the Daredevil series will not be limited just to its uh, first box, that uh, Marvel and Netflix have picked up the series for a second season. Uh, no announcement date beyond a, a 2016 arrival. And uh, Pete, that just means more uh, more Daredevil for us alongside Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3, presumed the, uh, let's see, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. spinoff, presumed, a mysterious other uh, Marvel television show, perhaps Ms. Marvel, uh, also the increasingly presumed Agent Carter renewal, so we basically... Whoa, 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 um, you left one out. Let's put the other Netflix uh, show on there, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, which is given a 2015 date. Indeed, the assumption that we'll be podcasting that in December because, hey, it's not a busy time. Yes. So basically, we are now training our bodies to uh, have our headphones on all the time to watch all this content for you and then podcast it. Um, So there's that. Indeed there is, and uh, of course, all this bandwidth that we're blasting through this month made possible by uh, our patrons at patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash fantasticgeek. And Pete, we appreciate their help oh so much. And uh, at at the rate things are going, we're just going to have to get like, we're just going to have to bite the bullet. We're just going to have to get Google glasses so that we can constantly (laughs) watch Marvel television. Um, while driving, while eating, while spending time with our significant others, just nonstop ability to analyze for our uh, for our listeners. Yes, um, you know, with the help of our Patreon supporters, we're going to put up a premium. Uh, I have volunteered to undergo the world's first uh, Netflix Scopey, where it will be <laughs> uh, placed inside my body, and um, the episodes will just come right in. <laughs> and 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 stream so we want to thank our existing uh patreon patrons for that and uh the future as well order in the court one more outburst and i'll hold you in contempt let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due our tease Distorted cop voice in slow motion. Don't you dare! Don't you freaking move! Before we catch up in real time, picks up in real time exactly after the previous episode, 105 World on Fire. Hell's Kitchen is on fire. Matt Murdock has his hands up as the masked man, and he's told by a cop. Uh, not to move or he will put a bullet in him. He is cuffed. Um, they, the cops ask about the other 
gentlemen. I'm not going to use the salty language that is used there. <laughs> this is a family podcast, and I'm we're going to address in the next uh, couple podcasts my obsession with the salty language. Um, but uh, they're referring to the Russian uh, Vladimir on the ground there. And then comes the ominous line, we're going to take care of him like we were told. Pete, the tension in this uh, in this early scene, at least for me, was caused by the notion that Daredevil is actually getting cuffed. I, I think that um, it was a reasonable assumption. Ooh, dramatic accent at the end of 105, put your hands up, and he starts to put them up. And he's going to jujitsu his way out in about 30 seconds. But no, there's this slow down not just of the slow-mo intro to it but he you know his action has been slowed down he's on his knees he's being cuffed and it's just like what in the world is going on it immediately is not um in line with the expectations that you had for for the plot definitely and you know from headbutting the one guy kicking him flipping you know vladimir gets shot in the melee there um, and then we know the goodness that is our, in our masked man. He asks, how bad are you hurt? Um, and Vladimir's not going to play along here. He goes to grab the gun and, you know, the masked man has to uh, kick him unconscious. But a cop comes to, uh, grabs a gun, looks around, and the masked man is gone. Sergei has been uh, uh, wounded here, and he is then um, shot by the cop who then radios into uh, the 15th precinct that shots have been fired and we have two suspects on foot. Away we go into our title card. And Pete, probably a good time to, uh, to just mention this, uh, this following note, something that we had, we had pondered uh, in our preview episodes concerning, you know, how will they be presenting uh, the NYPD, particularly in light of the fact that, uh, you know, there's all sorts of like New York Film and Television Commission money being spent. Uh, I know that, you know, if you do uh, a film or TV show involving military help, they, they they have a little role in making sure that the military is being presented in, at the very least, an accurate, wink, nice way. Um, and I appreciate that within the fiction of this show uh that they're able to show some dirty cops because that's what the story requires and and clearly some <laughs> some well i i mean we'll talk later on i think there's you know th- there's some sympathy for the good cops out there um what am i paying them for <laughs> but i just appreciate that despite the fact that there is an economic relationship between uh the city and state of new york and this television production that clearly that hasn't spilled over into the creative portion of things and if they need a dirty cop in this scene to shoot a wounded suspect that's the nature of the story and the fact that the new york taxpayers are have a role in making this scene happen or this show happen it's kind of the two are separate and i appreciate that Yes. And, you know, let's remember that these scripts were completed largely in the late summer. And, um, you know, there might have been some stuff involving, uh, you know, cops and, you know, uh, crises in terms of uh, dealing with, uh, you know, law enforcement and and, um, suspects and things like that going on at the time. So, you know, 
it is the world that we live in, Matt. You don't have to sanitize it just like we will not sanitize, uh, you know, how we call it when we discuss these episodes. And I appreciate, I mean, listen, you know, there's no such thing as a completely uh, clean environment in terms of law enforcement. There's also no such thing as a completely corrupt one. This episode illustrates that as well. And certainly the focus of our discussion, the 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 fictional world here, you know, we can kind of leave leave our politics largely at the door. Um, and uh, <laughs> we, this certainly is a is a compromised force in many levels in this fictional Daredevil universe. Definitely. Act one of our episode proper begins with a pensive Ben Urich um in front of a jack of clubs, which is marked for uh, Vladimir, and a jack of spades marked for Anatoly. Russian Connection is on a card, uh, a heart card. Uh, the seven of spades has bears the word kidnapping, while the four of spades bears extortion. Uh, there's an article headlined shootout hell's kitchen uh taxi garage uh the yakuza matt the japanese mob gets the uh jack of diamonds while heroin i know one of your favorites is also uh indicated with a heart well and appropriate since since female heroes heroines are so uh so so near and dear to my heart uh wait a minute you don't mean the other stuff do you no, no, I never, <laughs> never implied that I did. The five of clubs is Vela's taxi. The king of diamonds um, is also there on the larger web, but I was unable to read what was on there. There's um, another uh, story headlined uh, about the kidnapped boy and one about the rise in uh, heroin addicts. So there's a lot of people consuming stories with, um, you know, strong female protagonists <laughs> in Hell's Kitchen. The four of clubs for drugs. Farnham gets the diamonds. I loved this setup. I do too. And it's within what I oftentimes refer to on our on our comic book related podcasts as maybe like rule number one set forth in the first X-Men movie, what'd you expect yellow spandex? Which is to say, it is a show that that has played with their regular, you know, uh, legal names, you know, Wilson Fisk and Wesley and all that, uh, let alone here we are on the sixth episode, nobody has uttered the word Daredevil. Similarly, this whole card thing leading towards, you know, the king, kingpin, etc., they're they're following that rule. What'd you expect? The yellow spandex, which is double sided, in that we are both to expect it and not expect it, because you know is is somebody of Fisk's, um, we'll say, importance to the criminal element. Is he really going to have the nickname the Kingpin, or you know, is it going to be used the way it does in a truly comic book world? No, of course not. But you still need to kind of you know tip your hat to that lineage, nonetheless. And this is a great, great way of doing it. And, you know, the upside is that the viewer gets to conceptualize all of this. Uh, ben is putting it together in this rather unique 
system. You know, those of you familiar with uh, TV writing, a lot of writers' rooms will use, um, you know, post-its or note cards or other devices on a, on a whiteboard or whatever to do all of this. And, you know, it's not hand of the writer. It's the uh, idea that um, you get this and they're essentially giving us a version of what their version of the outline of the story would look like. So from a production standpoint, going to the cards or another device really adds that writerly flourish that I know I really appreciate as a writer. Um, but this setup is broken up by what we know has taken um, place outside of the New York Bulletin. Um, Ben's boss tells everybody, listen up. There's been multiple explosions uh, reported all across Hell's Kitchen. Uh, he tells Hendricks to uh, call the PD for a statement. Taylor, you reach out to your guy in public works. Was this gas? Was this methane? Okay. And Ben asks about the locations. Uh, it would help to know. Uh, he asks Caldwell to give him the list, and he reads the list that um, Wesley had uh, texted one of our dirty cops, Officer or Detective Blake, we should say. And uh, Ben says, it's not gas. How does he know? These places are all connected and controlled by the Russians, and he leaves. From kind of a production standpoint for this particular set, I like that it's a small newsroom. Um, it's probably just a result of they're not going to be using this as a set very often, so they didn't need you know the the multi-story expense of the New York Times newsroom, or, you know that that kind of thing. But um, it also just helps kind of sell this message here that uh, the New York Bulletin, it's a smaller dog of a newspaper. It's much smaller than, say, the Washington Herald of other Netflix shows. Um, I love, too, just the chaos captured here, the multiple explosions kind of un you know unfurling, happening, this breaking news thing. How is it going to be treated? And um, just certainly a compelling scene uh, to see the bulletin in action, not worried about, you know, selling newspapers this time, but worried about getting, getting the story covered right. Definitely. And as the uh, journalists head out there into the night, <clears throat> we have three Escalades pass a bunch of cop cars and uh, Wes is on the phone uh, confirming some information and he will get back to them. He tells Fisk that Vladimir is in the wind their friend in the black mask was beating on him, but uh, stopped Officer Corbin and his boys from finishing him off. And the motif throughout this episode, Matt, which is highly effective, and I have to give them uh, praise for doing this, is incorporating the TV essentially as a character in this episode. We see it for the first time in the, uh, the Escalade here. And they pepper it in throughout and the dialogue, the news footage, if you will, through that is really revealing in terms of the plot and what the public and some of our characters come to know. I also appreciate in this scene what, to my eyes, concerned Fisk the most, which was that Madame Gao ha had been the one to help out on this and now it's gone wrong and she won't be happy. Um, as we're slowly getting to know this confederation of criminals, 
Uh, I love the respect that is afforded to her and the implication that her pockets and her resources are deep. I just love kind of the 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 the, the contrast of this sweet, you know, not particularly uh, overwhelmingly beautiful, certainly older woman who you know speaks no English, so kind of very very outside the main group, but somehow is at its. Uh, emotional center i mean i know fisk is kind of you know the 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 head of it all but she's kind of, it's kind of like well how is this going to affect madame gao and i just love that as a little character affectation from what we've learned from her through approximately half of the series definitely you know the characterization that we get through fisk about these other characters is it's compelling that you know when on the outside, these characters would seem pretty two-dimensional at this point. And, and that's just good development. That's, that's good plot pacing. Um, you know, but when Fisk is uh, talking with Wesley here about uh, their cops, he says that it was Blake who was clumsy. So we know which of our two cops there was the one, uh, the Caucasian one beaten in the alley there. Um, and that uh, they're going to take care of that eventually, letting the mask get his phone. Uh, Wesley had texted him the addresses for the sweep is the word that is used several times here. Um, so Fisk uh, says we'll deal with Blake later, which we know is not that later. <laughs> <laughs> um but they need to contain this. And um, one of the character flourishes in this scene other than um, Wilson Fisk's face and Vincent D'Onofrio's very effective um, body language in this scene was simply Wesley taking off his glasses to belie the seriousness of what they're dealing with, that they need to contain this, that um, he's explaining to his boss that Vladimir and the mask won't make it out um, the sweep will pick them up. Comments were made at New York Comic Con by Vincent D'Onofrio to suggest that he and uh, Toby Leonard Moore had uh, maybe not be, had become close, but certainly had kind of been brothers in arms during the course of of making the the first season. And you kind of get a sense here why, with those little those little character moments, because D'Onofrio is arguably the biggest star in the show, perhaps uh, perhaps. Um, Deborah Ann Wall or uh, even Rosario Dawson might have had uh, higher profiles in some circles. But point being, if you're going to have a scene with D'Onofrio and Moore, uh, in, you know, in the back of a, in the back of a car, D'Onofrio is the one setting the pace for for the scene um, in in a number of ways. Uh, and just the fact that they're both kind of on that same level of being able to uh, underperform but hit the mark with excess if you will just to do those little things in a big big way you know i mean I, who knows do they do they keep in touch after filming who cares about that stuff the fact that they were both kind of on the same page artistically in the making of scenes like this it it shows it shows between the two characters definitely fisk goes on that you know oh gal's gonna be upset she put her trust in me she gave me her help she's going to be disappointed okay uh, that the situation hasn't concluded as neatly as it was promised, especially given the runners that were utilized here. And, and Wesley 
wants to know what are you going to tell her? And, you know, what I love about the character of Fisk is his, his honesty. We've seen it with Vanessa. We've seen it here. The truth lying to that woman is impossible. Okay. Which further, uh, builds her character, uh, and can't wait to talk about more that we will get there. Um, but what the next move is, it's letting the police do their jobs. That's what I pay them for, isn't it, Matt? Great, great line. Because the first kind of steps off as, you know, oh, well, yeah, let the police do it. And then, and then you know, the explanation of, no, they're in it. I mean, we've known that there are bad cops in the show. But just the idea of, oh, there's this thing. My guys will take care of it. It's just uh, pompous but accurate. We move to the building and uh, Blake is leading other officers through the remnants of one of the Russian um, operations. Uh, He points two more over there. There are flashlights. A man is down speaking Russian, impaled by uh, rebar. And uh, Blake says uh, he don't look so bad. (laughs) Certainly, he looks good enough to get some uh, to get some questions asked his way. Yes, his partner Hoffman, uh, the African American uh, detective, there. He says, "Well, all things considered, you know, uh, he doesn't look so bad." But um, uh, Blake, who uh, had had his uh, right arm there. Um, really uh, messed with by the masked man, who he's convinced. Uh, he must have known I was a righty. We know why, because of the uh, the heartbeat lie detector. He fumbles with his uh, his gun in his left hand, and he steps on the concrete and makes the man scream to uh, to give him information about Vladimir. Where would he go? Um, has he got a girl somewhere, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, and finally he stops by shooting him in the head. A third voice um, tells him that uh, they've they've got it, and um, a third cop that uh, Blake tells you find anyone else alive, shoot him in the head. So this police conspiracy certainly extends, given the cops that confronted uh, the masked man and Vladimir. After the explosions, given these two dirty detectives, given this third here who's on the Fisk payroll, extends fairly far. And I think, too, the notion that there is that third unseen cop. I mean, there's there's almost kind of the the vaguest of implications that and the third cop will go out in the hall and tell the other two who are going to tell two more, two more, that kind of thing of as they canvass it. It's mostly an inside job. By the way, Pete, I know Blake kind of a little fired up here. Um, but kind of <laughs> when he when he um, shoots the guy and then orders others to do the same. Just want to point out he probably meant question them then shoot them um because i don't know we can only go what's on on what's stated here and and you know the brutality that these guys show i mean later when when officer sullivan you know is in is Mm. encountered you know there's there's no questioning there that's true i just meant in terms of like they could then shoot somebody who's like oh he's holed up at at the the such and such hotel you know then shoot him first but you know but i digress (laughs) 
you know, wouldn't really work. But but this is TV characterization, albeit deep TV characterization. Um, the masked man is then seen carrying Vladimir away from Sirens. He enters the abandoned building. Uh, part of our uh, title here, Condemned. Uh, there's water dripping. He puts him down, uh, tells him not to move, that he's been shot, and um, that uh, what he says sounds pretty bad, what he said in Russian, but that he doesn't speak Russian or <laughs> a euphemism for what he says is Russian. Indeed, indeed. By the way, there's also mentioned there that uh, – or, you know, Daredevil does not kill. So he's, you know, trying to communicate to Vladimir, hey, don't worry. Um, though it's brought up that uh, there is the uh, other Russian compatriot uh, in, in a coma and he's still breathing. And again, kind of that irony of, yeah, but he easily could have killed him. You know, he could have been killed by the fall into right. the dumpster. Um, just again, the notion that Daredevil is operating here really on the razor's edge. His code defines him, and that's important throughout the course of this episode into its biggest scene over the walkie-talkie. But uh, Vladimir's got an obvious axe to grind in that he still believes the masked man killed his brother and took his head. That's why he wants to kill him. And having to you know, accurately protest that and help him understand and at the same time uh, ascertain information from Vladimir only complicates uh, Murdoch's problems here. Um, when they go through their their little dance here back and forth, um, you know, talking about Semyon in the dumpster and everything there, um, and the mask planted on his brother, uh, what was left of him. You know, he needs to point out, did I kill your brother? You know, uh, you think I'm the one who blew up your operation, uh, you know, and, and we get a we get our 15th S word of the, the series, Matt. You know, th things obviously escalate. But um, that, that's a standard message. writer's rule. When you get to your 15th S word, <laughs> you're clearly escalating. It's it, look it up. It kids. is. It is. Things get serious. OK, our second largest uh, S word count in this episode. Um <laughs> But that uh, Murdoch needs to make clear that, you know, Vladimir's being played. You know, the man you work for, I don't know what he told you, but these are more Fisk games that, you know, he's, he's putting you in the ground is what he's doing. And uh, there is there then the opportunity for Vladimir uh, to, to get revenge there, that if he's going to talk, he'll get payback. And, you know, that, that's one proposal. And then uh, Vladimir counters with another one to uh, suck my, I assume he said borscht. I didn't quite catch the last word there, but I just love, I love Vladimir as a character in this episode because he is, he's so um, true to his convictions and true to that two and a half dimension character. Not quite, you know, he's not quite fake, but he's also not quite reasonable the way i suspect uh most of us would be if we were if this happened to us which certainly would be uh, a rare feat indeed but i just I, I love that even in this early stage he's just sticking to his story and sticking to his tough man operation right and when the masked man tells him he's got to choose a side he chooses his own and you know for murdoch to tell him that's not an option uh that fisk made sure of that 
that they've got to come to some kind of agreement here in order to do this, in order to move through. Um, you know, he, he thinks, Vladimir thinks that the masked man is a fool, that he doesn't know these things, but he's not the one who's bleeding out. And there is an intense wound in uh, Vladimir's uh, right side of his abdomen here. So they've got to take care of this. Um, and, and he wants the payback. Uh, his, his counter proposal given and not accepted, um, you know, Vladimir, uh, you know, goes under and, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> the masked man tries to slap him back into consciousness. Pete, it seems to me like Vladimir should get himself to a hospital. He should. And in the hospital, we still don't have a name of this hospital that Claire and all the others are uh, at and uh, work at. Um, but uh, Foggy and Karen bring Mrs. Cardenas in as the TV is updating the situation. Uh, she is badly hurt on her left temple. She's bleeding bad. And uh, what do you know? Claire comes a run in here. So we establish that uh, she's in on the triage. Um, she diagnoses this as a bad laceration. She begins to work on Elena Cardenas, uh, get her some help here. And, um, you know, Karen and uh, Foggy are glad that they were with her. Um, you know, the TV is uh, reporting that the cause of the explosions at this point is unknown. And uh, Foggy uh, is worried about the war zone like um, conditions out there that they need to call Matt and make sure he's okay. It's at this point that Karen notes that Foggy is bleeding from his left side. And that of course explains the stabbing pain <laughs> in his side. He sits down. Karen is going to go try to find somebody and she finds Ben's friend from our, uh, one of our previous episodes who was helping him with the insurance troubles um, and she is moving people around dealing with the triage she's rerouting casualties to Mercy Hospital or to St. Mary's and um, she runs into Claire uh, Claire's cover story was apparently a car accident and by the way since when do you drive <laughs> who drives in New York it uh, it may, on first glance, feel uh, kind of you know hand of the writer, small world that um, you know that uh, all these characters are here in the hospital and whatnot. But it's a great opportunity to remember that Claire and Foggy and Karen and Mrs. Cardenas, you know, all live in the same neighborhood, um, and you know there there's an opportunity here to really reinforce that neighborhood vibe that the things. That uh, you know, Foggy and Matt are fighting for legally uh, are you know for some of those scallywags in the neighborhood. Just as this is, you know, a hospital that might not have seen the best of days, but it too is serving these people in Hell's Kitchen. And um, it's rare that you can kind of bring everybody together. Oh my, what a small world it is, and actually get away with it. But here you can because they're also geographically close to each other a well-planned scene and Claire's phone rings. Um, she goes to the stairwell to answer it. And of course it's uh, Matt and she wants to know if this is him dealing with the Russians, which 
of course, he uh, allays pretty quickly, but um, that she doesn't have to worry about them anymore. Pete, Claire here, the second character after uh, Vanessa in the previous episode, to not like the means in which the end result uh, has become acceptable. She has suffered, Claire has, at the hands of uh, of these Russians and knows what they're capable of and what they are doing to the city and to her uh, neighborhood. Um, again, it's kind of this dichotomy of, oh, I don't like how you just made things better, which is a really, really compelling place to go for this story because it would be incredibly easy to just say that that you know it's a bit more black and white that you don't cross a certain line because it's truth justice in the american way um no this this is a hero who while he won't kill um and while he certainly hasn't bombed these four buildings uh you know we now have two people who are saying well it's kind of not the way to go but good job on the outcome right and uh matt needs her help he's got to get the intel here out of the uh the shot Vladimir and I love that, you know, she's really kind of damning the oath, you know, so call nine one one and uh, that the police shot him and making this clear through the dialogue that things are not what they seem is important. Um, Claire, of course, would like a crack at finishing the job on Vladimir, but that's not really the way Matt's going to let it go. He needs to stabilize him. Uh, and it's not as easy, Matt, as it looks in the movies. <laughs> Remembering, of course, now that we're talking about a blind character who for all of his, uh, you know, super sensory abilities can't watch a movie. But he likes records, though. <laughs> this is this is certainly true. And, of course, you know, the other layer is it's being said about a pretend TV show. <laughs> Yes. Um, so she finally finds out the man is Vladimir. Uh, S word had me uh, beat up that Vladimir, uh, but he's important, Claire. And, uh, you know, despite dropping the series 16th S obscenity to this point, she comes around. Okay, is there an exit wound? No, the bullet's still inside. Uh, some some uh, daredevil mumbo jumbo about it still being half a degree hotter than the surrounding tissue, given his uh, his super senses here. It's a, no f- it's a whole half a degree, clearly. It, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, but there's no first aid kit in this warehouse, Matt. Uh, he's got, you know, half a box of nails, some broken glass, wood, duct tape, an old roadside emergency kit, a lot of plastic sheeting. And it's here that she comes to the flares. There's two of them. Okay. And that he's got to use these flares to cauterize the wound in both some uh, smart writing and some brutal watching. Absolutely. And initially I was a little like, oh boy, you didn't think of the roadside kit with a Claire for with a Claire with a flare first. Um, but fair is fair. He also has never needed to use a roadside repair kit. Um, obviously he's, you know, been in cars and whatnot, but uh, I kind of like, I, I like that he wouldn't, he wouldn't know what was in there the way the rest of us, even if you haven't ever cracked one open, you'd just be like, oh, there's gotta be a flare in there somewhere. 
Right. And, you know, remember what she said about this not being a movie. It's a TV show. Duh. Uh, you know, if he cuts him open, Vladimir, he's going to start digging around for this and he's going to bleed out. Okay. So we've got to do this. And, uh, you know, it's going to hurt like an SOB. So bonus. <laughs> And as you said, it really is a it's a visually difficult but visually well done scene where, uh, you know, of course, the flare is illuminating the the uh, result of, of the heat applied to flesh. And there's just this great, you know, burning, bubbling, you yeah. know, just it's it's again, I mean, it's not, you know, oh, turn away. It's so awful. But it's you it's hold that tough to, to him, watch. no matter how much he screams is mm. that professional advice or personal well it's a little of both as she says (laughs) but the takeaway is that a cop hears this and as vlad passes out uh this police officer radios in the location of this building on the northwest corner of 47th and 12th this abandoned building and um, they're sending backup on the way over the radio. I like uh, the visual, too, that, yes, he overhears it, so he enters the building, and that's just the tail end of the flare. That right. plastic, convenient perhaps, but that plastic, the plastic is kind of glowing a bit, and you almost don't notice the redness of it until it then starts to fade away. And it's just, you know, it's, again, the show, the show can use a, a, a light touch with some things, and, uh, and here they do. And with that atmosphere, Matt's able to take down this cop. And we need to establish what side of the conflict, if any, he's on. Uh, He takes his knee off the throat and he questions the cop uh, who he works for. The cop, of course, professes that he works for the city of New York. And in this scene that's lit little more than by uh, his own flashlight, which I thought was a nice kind of naturalistic take there. Uh, Daredevil is able to, uh, you know, learn more about the guy, determine that he was a he is indeed a two month veteran and thus likely uh, a good guy. It's it's a rare thing to see on this show, Pete. He is a good cop. Right. And the heartbeat there helps us know that he's the good cop past the statement, because only so much of this can be taken at face value when we're talking about pretty widespread police corruption. Uh, but. Uh, the masked man wants him to call Central, tell him it was a false alarm, that we don't need backup. And he goes to do that and instead blurts out, second floor, perp and mask, wounded civilian, funk. Which to me only proves that he's a good cop. Uh, and I suppose yeah. if he was on Fisk's payroll, he could have done that as well. But it, within the moment, it's like, yeah, he's not going to be... Uh, you know, be bullied by this guy who has physically beaten him. He's going to continue to do his job, even if it leads to, you know, this perp getting away or this perp, you know, doing harm or whatever it might be. Outside the cops roll up here. We've got an officer Pinsky. Blake is there. There's more cars. There's a copter. There's searchlights. And they want to know where Sullivan is. We established that that is the name of the officer inside the building do they have eyes there and uh blake tells them they're gonna take it down uh pinsky he and hoffman are hnt on this scene and uh they're gonna set up a perimeter and uh try not to uh get worried matt is really the clean way of 
of saying it, but there's going to be no in, no out. And um, Hoffman asks his partner if uh, he thinks Sullivan um, and uh, the masked man are in there with Vladimir. And um, Blake tells him that uh, Sullivan told Central there was a masked perp. So really everyone is caught up through this scene, through that dialogue. Uh, so he thinks that uh, Vladimir is the wounded civvy. Hoffman makes the call. And uh, it's around this time when uh, Ben arrives on the scene yes. too, um, not just getting statements, but uh, being a pain. With his magic ID, Matt, that gets him into an active police scene, one of the sins committed by <laughs> the 2003 movie, repeated here, one of the few sins we should add. I totally agree. I did kind of get the impression that he was a little more um, at the periphery of the scene, kind of respecting respecting it. I mean, if, if, if you, Pete, as the journalistic expert here, are saying, you know, he was just on the wrong side of the tape, period. Okay, so be it. Chalk it up to, you know, the, the fictional narrative. But um, you are it, not going to be anywhere near cops having this discussion. No tactical information is going to be said anywhere near the fourth estate. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, again, a, a minor journalistic sin. Um, I like too the notion that it's like you know how did you hear about this? And it's just you know I have I have my ways. I have my I have my tips, and there's there's not much more explanation beyond that. He's just a good journalist <laughs> in a place where the police wouldn't let him. But he's just a good journalist. And he knows, too, what these two detectives have been through. He thought that internal affairs would have them riding a desk. And I love the, you know, the banter here was pointed and, you know, strangely light at the same time. You know, you don't see anybody riding desk here. You see what's going on tonight. Get a statement. Yeah, I got a statement. The world's an essy place. 17. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know. He wants to know where this ESU is, where one of the one of the crews that's coming in. Um, Hoffman tells them they've got their hands full with the building that went up. And uh, Blake says that uh, Carl, which is Hoffman's first name here, don't talk to Yurik. OK, um, who's asking about the cop in there? Officer Sullivan, how do you know? Uh, how long have I done this? Ben tells them long enough to be a pain and you're behind. <laughs> and it is, it is at that point where Blake needs more marching orders and uh, calls into Wesley. And you quickly get the impression here that Wesley's expectation was, you know, wrap it up, put a put a, you know, put a cord in around it, do what you have to do and finally end this thing. Uh, and uh, and Fisk agrees, Pete. But who has caused all the rascally trouble here against against the, these titans of crime? Well, just back to Ben for a second. You know, the the really over the top but effective threat that, hey, you know, you stay out of the way or um, Blake tells him if this thing goes sideways, I can't promise you won't get hit, which is a foreboding line in the in the context of this episode. Um but he'll keep his head down, Ben tells him. Um, and with Wesley telling him to be ready for instructions, um, 
that the mask man has shown up, that he's assaulted a cop here. Fisk wants to know, is it one of our cops? Okay. No, it's a kid fresh out of the academy. Ugh. But Blake and Hoffman have assumed HNT, and Fisk knows this now. Um, but there's a reporter on the scene, um, and it's the one from the New York Bulletin, the Allied article, Ugh, only complicating things. It's Ben Urich. They need to turn his head. And I like that I like that Fisk quickly figures out, well, that's not going to happen, particularly since this is a guy that, you know, that unearthed all the Union Allied stuff, um, even though it's having been kind of buried so expertly. Uh, so Fisk's conclusion there is just to flip the script to get all their media contacts to the warehouse that if you're going to report report this, you know, turn a negative into a positive, let's report the heck out of this and turn you know, turn lemons into lemonade. Yes. And as they prepare to do that, um, the idea that they would reach out to their other contacts in the media, that they want everyone in hell's kitchen to see what's about to happen, um, becomes the issue. And, and Wes has smiled very broadly here, which I thought was good. The, the key line Problems are just opportunities that haven't presented themselves. Mm, indeed, indeed. And speaking of problems, we are back to Vladimir, who still won't talk. Yes, and as uh, Matt has duct tape Officer Sullivan there, Vladimir comes to the realization that uh, the mass man's been busy. He tells him that the building is surrounded. There are 10 officers, four dogs, more coming. And, of course, Vladimir wants to know how he knows this. Lucky guess. Despite all this, uh, Daredevil is is hanging out what I think is uh, is a pretty earnest and truthful thread here for Vladimir, that the only way out alive is, you know, possibly, the only possible way out alive is uh, by the two of them working together. And uh, Vlad kind of, you know, starting to then open up a bit. Yeah, but, you know, and I don't know who this Daredevil character you're talking about is. He hasn't shown up on this TV show <laughs> through six episodes. But the masked man disassembles the gun. Vladimir's like, wait, we could have used that. But he's not big on guns. He grabs a pipe. Oh, your, your little stick, much better. You know, um, uh, that he's got the... Uh, road flare that he tells him he had cauterized the wound with to stop the bleeding, that the bullet's still inside. He shouldn't move around very much. And uh, Vlad asks him, do you expect me to thank you? Um, but that they're having this conversation is proof to Vlad that he would have let him die if he didn't need him. That's where he draws his line and that everything comes back to Fisk here. That, you know, you think you're different than me, than him. You'll be there sooner than later, which is a, the thesis, again, of the conversation that Matt will have with the kingpin, with Wilson Fisk. Um, and he says, all we can do, men like us, um, you know, men like Fisk, you just took out uh, an entire um, – operation of them that you know this is the way things are that uh he may not own all the cops but enough that he won't make a prison cell uh matt tells him 
that, uh, you know, the only shot of getting out alive is together. And it's here where Vlad finally starts to buy in. He tells um, Matt that the lap dog uh, came to him first, uh, told him that his employer had taken note, complimented our business, invited into bigger opportunities. We entered into an agreement. And uh, Matt wants to know what was the offer that the police would look the other way, that they'd have the help of politicians, access to Chinese heroin. That's a drug, not um, you know, like, <laughs> like Mulan. You know, they weren't bringing Mulan into this. This is Disney we're talking about. Um, and now, you know, Matt's finding out for the first time this extends to the, the Chinese part of the equation. And Vlad, again, needs to flaunt his knowledge that you really don't know this. You're, you're snapping at scraps that fall off the table. But it's about names and only one matters, the man who can tie it all together. OK, and he talks about Leslie Shumway, Matt. Tell us a little about Leslie Shumway. Leslie Shumway in in this wonderful reveal here. And I'm typing up the notes and saying, oh, I can't, you know, I, that's not a name I recognize. Um and it ends up kind of being a parable of sorts. Uh, Leslie Shumway, the accountant for Al Capone, uh, who was able to was able to you know keep track of of all the money. And as is very well known, uh, Capone, of course, sent to Alcatraz, showing for our longtime listeners that uh, yes. it's all connected. Um, but you know, Al Capone sent to Alcatraz on money matters, not on you know machine gunning people and that sort of thing. Uh, so just this idea that it is the accountant who is the, um, not quite the king, but you know, that's, that's the, uh, the way in to get information with all this. And then with that, you know, Fisk's accountant is, is, and as it's happening, as Vladimir is whispering and you kind of, on the one hand, you kind of sense that his, his light is dimming here and and it's, it's almost, you know, soap opera, itch soap opera ish where it's, and then. His name is, you know, you. I can have, see Anatoly. <laughs> he looks have glorious. A sister, eh, you know. And he's kind of whispering, whispering. But it's when you see Matt starting to lean in, and it's it's not a lengthy amount of time that they give Matt to do that. But it's just all of a sudden you're saying, "Oh no, <laughs> I know what's happening next." And with that, a a short but scrappy fight, you know, uh, explodes. I love that there's lumber twirled and smashed and and uh that you know it's just kind of another bare knuckle fight and the, the really really fantastic what's that little line this is not how i die this is not mm. how this happens and they're sent through two floors before you know um the masked man is lying face down it's it's a great um i don't want to say effect like it's you know a fake blue screen thing but it, it it's such a great stunt to do to have them smash through the floor twice because there's just this sense of you know of, of how br- bone crushing and bruising and, and aching it must be and um <laughs> something that happens a fair amount when it's time to end an act pete uh uh matt murdoch passes out yes uh, the media, the electronic media has now shown up and I love Blake's teasing of uh, the grizzled print journalist here. You see that old timer, that's you not mattering anymore. But we know that Ben Urick does matter as the seeker of truth and explains that TV's been around a while, um, you know. 
but uh, Blake compares it to the uh, the rock that dinosaurs looked at as it crashed. Um, Which and, is a great line, you know, yes. calling somebody a dinosaur, the extinction. I mean, that's 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 not a new that's not a new uh, metaphor. But the notion of watching that rock coming for you, the dinosaurs, you say, oh, I think my time is up. It's a great way to put that. But he tells him, you know, again, foreshadowing, I still got a few stories. Maybe you two will pop up in one of them. Blake tells him the night is young. I love the fencing that they do with each other, too, both in this line and then the, re- the, the line earlier on, earlier on where Blake uh, says, you know, I can't control what happens or, or, or that kind of thing. It's this. They know what they're talking about, but neither is going to cross the line to say, you know, Hey, Ben, I am a dirty cop. I will shoot you. And if not me, somebody else. Similarly, right. Ben isn't saying, you know, I'm going to keep tugging on this story until I put the two of you in prison. It's just that they know what they're talking about. They're they're gentlemen enough to know that they're really, really on opposite sides, but they have to put on their smiles uh, in, in in their interactions. And the media here functions as a way to transition back to the hospital. This female um, African-American reporter explains that, you know, authorities have uh, told them that the uh, people here are suspected of having done the bombings, that they believe there's a police hostage. They haven't released names. And um, uh, back in the hospital there, uh, Karen is calling Matt and uh, the beeping um, helps us understand that uh, Foggy is doing okay. Um, he doesn't uh, – she doesn't know Matt like Foggy does that sometimes he even forgets that uh, he can't see the way he zips around. It's kind of the old – but, you know, Superman doesn't look like Clark. He wears glasses. <laughs> um, but that, uh, you know, Foggy, she's told, uh, she tells him he's been a hero enough for one day that he's here, that he needs to be safe. She gives him a little kiss on the on the forehead there that uh, she's going to go check downstairs to see if Matt wasn't brought in. Hell of a first date, Matt. <laughs> it certainly is and uh as foggy calls matt to himself ask where are you buddy uh a bit of a reminder that this scene while not incredibly compelling it's serving the 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 story necessity of keeping the two of them in the story um the, the main goings on in this plot not particularly tied to them in one way or the other and um kind of you know some evidence of that that you know foggy went from Oh no, I'm wounded to, hey, I'm in a po- uh, popsicle. I'm in a hospital gown. Let's go get ice cream. You know, that kind of like, I'm better now. Um, I, again, you know, you have to serve many story masters here, and one is to not let them drop out of the middle of the episode. When we get back to uh, the masked man and Vladimir, uh, there's a little bit of banter before. Um, he trails off and we get the heartbeat effect and it's slowing and it even stops. And Matt needs to make like he's in a hospital here and he pounds on his chest and brings him back to the point where Vladimir, I thought it, it really broke the dramatic tension in a good way. What? <laughs> he tells him, you know, you died. I brought you back. Um, so he says, you can't even stand to let me die. 
and he says, not until you give me what I need with Fisk. Um, we're back with uh, Wesley into the car and that emergency services are uh, in route and that Blake and Hoffman are clearing a channel. And I love just the flourishes here. Wesley produces an envelope and there's a walkie talkie into it. And um, as they tap the glass and the SUVs speed off, Blake is telling his guys that uh, you shoot anyone who moves. Um, everybody switch your radios to five, you know, foreshadowing what's to come and rain maintain radio discipline. Yurik uh, wants to know what's going to happen next. Maybe a story worth printing. I must confess on first view, this business with clearing a channel and then uh, everyone get over to channel five. I initially had read that as, and on radio channel five, that's where all the bad guys are going. Um, And then there, then there was my criticism of, yeah. And uh, the, the officer in the warehouse didn't switch his over. So how does it all work? But no, it's this situation of even the, the Fisk employees are moving off of that, that, radio channel to give fisk and uh and matt this this channel between the two of them and to give them that privacy and um it's it's also too such a um i'll say creepy notion that that fisk's empire is so well connected yet so anonymous and of course we've seen you know how that is in terms of uh you know in terms of uh nobody says his name and that sort of thing but the illusion of it all is so uh, so effectively achieved. Uh, you know how how are they able to operate uh, so anonymously yet so uh, yet with such great detail? Well, we see some of those effects, and it just it, you know it is real because the show is presenting it as such. Right, we get a little bit of rumbling here, and we know that the the senses are being used to try to find a way out. And it's just then that you know, like you said, Matt, the the poor writer makes it. This is bad guy channel to other bad guys. Instead, it's I'd like to speak to the man in the mask, please. There's that civility mm. of Wilson Fisk that comes across in the heavy role. And, um, you know, his look on his face as he's waiting for, um, you know, the masked man to, to come back to him really, you know, had a little bit of a sympathetic tinge to it. Tells him he knows who he, who he is. Uh, you've been asking about me. I thought it was time that we spoke. And in a little bit of a reverse, um, Heisenberg there, Walter White, uh, the masked man tells him to uh, to say his name. Pete, one of the things I love about this scene is that it plays with the standard trope of you know our chief good guy and our chief bad guy. Um, you know, I grew we're not up, alike, Matt. <laughs> I, I I grew up reading uh, the newly rebooted Superman comics where Lex Luthor had now been reimagined as uh, you know kind of a, an industrial. Uh, you know, head of a head of a giant company, and of course, still a bad guy. But there was still that civility between he and Superman, and we have the civility here offered by Fisk. But it is the masked man who um, who is so powerless here, who is constantly being 
uh, outsmarted and outthought, and, and, and we'll get to more in just a moment. But I just love that, if only because this is a season that has a beginning and a middle and an end, here we are at the middle, and of course, you know, Matt Murdock is not going to have any sort of upper hand with the much better prepared, much more uh, elegant Wilson Fisk. Right, and that he's lecturing the hero that you tell yourself you're not like me. They're both uh, going through this struggle together, and uh, you know the masked man tells him you're feeding off this city like a cancer. Um, but they both want to save it. Uh, Fisk just on a scale that matters. So it's it's size that matters, Matt. Um, so. You know, he says, tell that to the people that you've hurt. Um, and that young man, life is not a fairy tale. Not everyone deserves a happy ending, despite being involved with the Chinese mafia. <laughs> then there's also the notion of of appearance, uh, particularly in this now hypersaturated media venue that this has become. Uh, Fisk pointing out that, that uh, the masked man appears to be the villain for all of this, the villain right. who caused the bombings, kidnapped a cop, and has a Russian criminal with him side by side. Um, and then all Pete, this, meanwhile, as a sniper is taking up position, and it wasn't exactly clear. The assumption is this is Fisk's sniper, um, but there was a little bit of a wild card element to that. I think the way I read it, and I'm not disagreeing with the way you read it, Pete, but the way I read it was here is the SWAT, uh, the SWAT sniper who's setting up, you know, two buildings away, and the mustache twirling plan has been to 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 give the masked man his little taste of Fisk here, while Fisk keeps him busy, and then we're going to cut to the scene that we've seen in a hundred movies where the snipers moving the scope around point of view from the scope and then look there's matt in the crosshairs and can he hear the bullet can he hear the the sniper rifle being cocked back i thought that's where they were headed um and obviously we'll discuss what happens in a bit but in the interim i love that matthew murdoch esquire sniffs out that the russian must be important if fisk wants him dead and you, there's just this moment of, ta-da, our hero. And Fisk immediately counters with, oh, that means that Vlad hasn't spoken yet. And it's just, even in an attempt to outsmart Fisk, he's now given up more than more than he gained. Right. Um, but if he gives him over, he tells him that, you know, you'll, you'll be allowed to go, which we're never meant to to believe here and then like you said throws in his face the idea that you're cavorting with this russian that uh you know this is not going to end well um and i love how vlad lets him know that he's there you fat s 18 <laughs> what a fun game yes <clears throat> but uh you know the one-time offer comes and goes he doesn't kill the Russian, of course, um, but uh, that the way he ends it here, um, you know what uh, Vlad's done to women, to children. Uh, he, he, he tells them, you know, the people in this city you claim to care about, you know, um, if uh, we could call this night a push 
and you just wipe him out here that that we would wipe out uh the issues that we have um it it doesn't happen and having confirmed how important he is that they're going to move forward and this conflict of course is going to widen into deepen um but not but, before pete there's the line uh that that matt says to fisk take me out and others will take my place yes, and yeah. just get ready for the ad maybe for jessica jones but certainly <laughs> as we get closer and closer to the defenders miniseries in a couple of years we're going to return to just that take me out and others will take my place as you montage you know daredevil jessica jones duh, duh, and like you know and then you know coming in may defenders on netflix marvel's that's, defenders you know that's why this scene to this point is the heart of this series where you know they're speaking for the first time and they're really they're connecting in terms of who is who and and what they're motivated by you know fisk tells him you're a child playing at being a hero um, and of course the masked man tells him, I'm just a guy who got fed up with people like you and decided to do something. Um, but you know, despite their differences, um, you know, Fisk acknowledges what makes him dangerous, you know, is, is not your mask, not your skills. It's your ideology. Okay. It's then that Wes gets on the phone. Okay. And uh, as um, Matt is trying to pull up this grate here, Fisk tells him he respects his conviction, even if he runs counter uh, to him. But, uh, you know, that Matt tells him, you keep telling yourself you've won. Uh, it'll only make it more satisfying um, when he takes him down. And uh, with that, Wesley, as you said, on the phone and he's talking to the sniper who, uh, again, my previous assumption was he was setting up for Daredevil. But instead, we get that scope point of view shot for Ben. Yep. And um, it, within the moment, I wasn't quite sure how to read it in terms of, you know, I doubt they're going to kill him off. Um, and I like that in his concern for Blake. Uh, Ben's concern for Blake. Yes. That's what causes uh, the miss, and the miss hits Blake. And then Pete just pandemonium starts to unfold. Right. We get two more cops down. Um, the masked man is just finding out over the radio here what's going on. And Fisk tells him, This is what you forced me to do. Goodbye. I'm afraid we won't speak again. I found the pandemonium and the shooting almost to almost to be overwhelming. Again, not in some sort of literal level, but kind of effective in its emotional presentation. There, I kind of read the notion that that the the Fisk Enterprise is taking out uh, some of these uniformed officers. I just kind of read that as therefore these particular cops being shot are good servants uh, of the peace. Um, I'm sure you could argue that it was just, you know, that they were just, uh, pawns the same as, uh, the same as the Chinese runners who, uh, who allowed themselves to be blown up, but just, just kind of this notion of the, the chaos and the grit going on here where people are being mowed down, people are being shot, um, and all for the city's supposed improvement and all being done by the city's supposed improving patron. Right. And as the TV explains here that there's been this deadly shooting 
you know, minutes ago, three of New York's finest were gunned down here in Hell's Kitchen. There's still little info, and Claire is catching up on this. But, um, you know, the masked assailant is being linked to this. Foggy and Karen are watching it. And uh, they see the video that was taken just after the explosions, which is really effectively revealed of uh, Murdoch taking out the cops from uh, security camera footage. And, um, you know, that Karen has come across him before makes this an effective reveal. The TV says that this is possibly part of an ongoing Russian, uh, you know, feud that uh, Karen sees this man who saved her life and Foggy uh, points out that you're lucky he didn't kill you, but she can smell the truth here that, you know, uh, they, they shouldn't be assuming that he's the bad guy. And Foggy says there's a general rule about guys in masks. You know, they usually have something to hide. But Battleground Hell's Kitchen, the TV uh, explains – and, uh, you know, they have to wonder whose side this man is on. I like that here Karen is the proxy for the audience in terms of she having seen the good and the bad in terms of, you know, beating the ever-living snot out of someone. Uh, but she's seen the good that he's capable of doing. And again, there's this there's this populist undercurrent that, that has been running through these six episodes thus far. And though though the masked man is outgunned, outresourced, outplanned, out everything, there's just this notion that if he's helping people one or two at a time, they are starting to to appreciate that. They're starting to pick up the call in some sort of uh, vague, perhaps subconscious way that that what he is doing is good because there's a bad out there that you can't quite see. And it's a nice point in the series. Here we are close to the end of the sixth episode to to just really kind of um, give us that sense, hey, Karen, Karen's in that boat and she is a stranger to the masked man, you know, uh, the, the, the small worldedness of uh, her connection to Matt notwithstanding. And he's trying to lift this grate, which is just too heavy for him. Claire calls him and catches him up on what the news is saying. He, of course, makes it clear that it's all Fisk with cops coming in here. Um, they have what could be a, a final goodbye here. You know, um, he had told her not to get involved with him and he apologizes. Um, turns out that uh, he was right. And, um, you know, she's left saying Matt over the phone and the cops break down the door with a battering ram. They lift the grate up, uh, Vlad and uh, our masked man, because I told you, Matt, this is not how I die. It's such a nice moment and one that is perhaps slightly foreshadowed by just the way the grate looks so incredibly heavy. He doesn't budget one tiny bit. There's not just kind of the notion of, you know, oh, because he's so so strong, he has 100% strength. No, 120, no, 130. It's just he needs that help uh, just as, you know, as he said earlier, take me out and others will take my place. Similar sentiment here in terms of, Vlad is a bad, bad, bad guy, but Fisk is infinitely worse. 
to have allowed the Vlads of the world and the Gals of the world and the Nobus of the world to be doing this to the city and be doing this to their neighborhood. So, you know, of course, one of these uh, enemy of the enemy is my friend moments and a moment of redemption for Vlad. He really has a nice, um, nice story arc. Not that there's much left to it. Cops come across Officer Sullivan, who the one radios uh, is dead. I say again, he's dead and stabs him in the neck um, with the masked man and Vlad having absconded down the ladder here. Uh, this is the ever uh, so faint sound of a train and the exposition that they're in access tunnels. The city was built on a network of them. They were sealed years ago. They keep moving. They'll get to the street. And uh, the radio sound lets them know that guys are coming. Um, you know, Vlad is thrown more so towards uh, these cops. And he winds up with a machine gun. Uh, that he now has pointed at our masked man. He tells him we got to go. There's five more coming. Uh, they all work for Fisk, probably not even real cops. Being out of time here, Vlad tells him there's the realization that he thinks maybe he should stay. And the masked man tries to encourage him to go on. He says, if you turn evidence on Fisk, but it's all about the police. It's all about the judges. They only have one way to stop him. Okay. And, uh, again, we're back to the, to the, not a killer situation. And Vlad tells him the moment you put on a mask, you got in a cage with animals and animals don't stop fighting. Not until one of them is dead. And this is what Fisk will do with him. Um, and, uh, to everyone he cares about an idea we've heard before. And, uh, you know, that they feel the same way or uh, will you be a man and do what you must do? But it's then that Vlad tells him that the gentleman, I believe there was a Russian slur used (laughs) there, uh, who controls the money. His name is Leland Owsley. Okay, so he gave gave him what uh, he thinks he wants. But will it be enough? Okay. Uh, you know now, don't you? Go. And our masked man kicks the door down. The gun is cocked. Great final stand there by Vlad. Starts singing in Russian. And our officers come in. And I love that we don't get it. We only hear it in the tunnel there. It's overheard as our masked man walks towards the camera. It's a fitting way to end that fight. It's a fitting way to end that scene, a scene that was started with, uh, you know, it's mostly dark. You have two guys in black. You have SWAT in black. Uh, the, the, the fight was uh, illuminated mostly by the flashlights uh, attached to their guns. So with having been able to see, certainly enough, but having been able to see little in the scene, uh, all the more reason to end it with us seeing essentially nothing and uh, Vlad triumphant in his final moments. Just a shocking, shocking story arc considering where we uh, where we first met him and uh, now we shall meet him no more except for, of course, in reruns. Jackson, your honor, is badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode, Matt? Never a, a more fitting uh, epigram. 
Indeed. And Pete, we have to start, I think, with uh, the whole of the dirty cops, whether it's those uh, cuffing Daredevil, pardon me, the masked man at the top of the episode, all the way to the presumed cops, whether they are, you know, private SWAT or NYPD SWAT, whatever it is at the end that is uh, that is uh, going to take down Vladimir. It's uh, it's all just, you know, a bunch of people abusing the public trust and, uh, and and doing so for uh, for the worst of reasons. Blake and Hoffman we knew ahead of time, but to get the reveal that it is so extensive and widespread throughout this 15th precinct, it seems, um, you know, really, really spells some trouble for our characters. Absolutely. Next up, Vladimir, certainly uh, deserving of uh, deserving of a place on this list of defendants, though, as aforementioned, um, some redemption there at the end, turning turning the bad to good, but uh, nonetheless a real stone cold killer. Not a not a good person, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he ends well. And to to see the the character go out the way he does, you know, couldn't have written it better. I think we also have to talk about Wesley there, the uh, kind of the the finger pulling the trigger, not in a literal sense, of course, but. You know, just this conduit for for Fisk's uh, overall plan. You know, you get the sense that Wesley has spent all this time coming up with the particulars, and he's kind of the public face of this private operation. Not public to the public, of course, but he's the one interacting with guy who gives him an envelope containing radio, and he's the one to go, uh, you know, retrieve the the gun in earlier episodes, and to go heck to go recruit some lawyers. Or uh, even to have, uh, as we're told in uh, in recollection, to have uh, recruited Vladimir and his brother to uh, to help grow this operation. So, good old Wesley, up to no good. He's not the brains per se, but he functions as that extension for Fisk, which is really important. The way that he gets the access, the way that he arranges things, you know, has the sniper show up, everything like that. And then when Fisk, as both the muscle in a physical sense and in a metaphorical sense, is able to slam things shut, you know, this conversation, what on his end he believes is the final conversation he's going to have with the masked man um really really great villain work it is and i mean thus placing him worthy of uh of a place on the defendant's list as well he he would have been underused in this episode i think if not for that that you know tete-a-tete conversation with the masked man and it's just so one-sided on fisk's part um you know, turning negatives into positives and all that. It's just, you know, it is amazing what each week, or at least each episode, uh, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is doing with Fisk. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off the record theories you be the judge pete i think something to uh to theorize about in this episode was this all was all this destruction involving these four russian locations as as awful as it is presented at the top of the episode with you know 
kind of, uh, you know, a flavor of New York under attack and bombings within the city and all of that kind of uh, awful real life connections uh, to be made. Um, is it, however, at least from Fisk's point of view, speeding up the revitalization? Now you have four, you know, lots to clear four new places for new buildings to go up, etc. Well, listen, Matt, you know better than to ask me a question like that, knowing, of course, I have watched the series through twice to this point. Um, But uh, what I will tell you is, do you really think that a man like Wilson Fisk uh, does things and does them to make his job harder for himself? Hey, sometimes you have to kill two birds with one stone. Or one masked man with four explosions. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Matt, we will turn first to Facebook, which uh, is another way to interact here uh, with Fantastic Geek. Um, Roderick Castle III wrote in that he just started listening to us. Really good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Roderick. And certainly part of this Netflix uh, model that that Daredevil has allowed is, you know, you're not missing a ton to be starting late because it's not, um, you know, it's not uh, it's it's not with that broadcast model there. So uh, welcome aboard, buddy. Definitely. We have um, an iTunes review, Matt, courtesy of uh, Trending Danny. Um, and the headline here is good stuff, essential for a detailed story recap for fans of daredevil on Netflix. Matt Murdoch can hear my heartbeat to tell if I'm not lying. I'm proud to sub the show. And, uh, there is a at, uh, circa whoosh Danny W H O O S H. Danny, all one word there. So thank you, Woosh Danny, for listening. Fantastic Geek has the best listening fans. Indeed, we do. Thank you so much for taking the time to share that review, Woosh Danny. And uh, always appreciated when people uh, people head on over to, to iTunes to share those thoughts. Yes, you help us. You help others find us. Kind of like You're kind of like Matt Murdock when you do that. You are the heartbeat that uh, helps people find us. Well, well said, Pete. And for those who have found you on the Twitter, how can they uh, be in touch? Well, on Twitter, you can find me at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 5,642 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways where we are. Fantastic Geek, that's fantastic with a PH. Probably the best way is on our Twitter. There's also the .com and the Gmail. And, of course, Pete, as uh, as was noted by the uh, first uh, contact there from a listener, what's another way? Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. 
Well, Pete, here we've spent uh, spent our, our time in Hell's Kitchen again. The, the sidewalks are packed. It's a busy commute time, but time for me to uh, get in my car and get out of here. Since when do you drive? I'm back, back in the New York blues. 